Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. This is a show that explores individual and interpersonal dynamics, helping you become your best self while making the most of your business and the people in it. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Enjoy the show. In this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Jeff Spencer. Dr. Spencer makes winning big the normal. He goes beyond being just a mentor or coach and takes a holistic view of his clients, helping them achieve their biggest goals. Dr. Spencer started out as an Olympic athlete and then morphed his career into helping other athletes, bands, businesses, and individuals uh, make the most of their goals and dreams. He's worked with companies like Hitachi, bands like U2, and athletes like Tiger Woods. Many have called him my secret weapon, beyond coach, mentor, or expert, and mindset master. Uh, His writing has been featured in Fortune Magazine, The Huffington Post, and The LA Times. In this episode, we get into the importance of preparation, how to gain clarity and purpose, and set yourself up for success long before you even start into what people would normally call practice. And he lays out a framework for a lot of this that people can use on their own to help give their lives and and their goals more meaning, more direction, and a higher likelihood that they'll succeed. Uh, There's a ton in here. I hope you enjoy it. Here is Dr. Jeff Spencer. And I'm live with Dr. Jeff Spencer. Dr. Spencer, welcome to the show. I look forward to diving into your expertise on uh, performance today. Well, thanks a lot. You're taking your chances. I never know quite what's going to come out of my mouth. So, uh, you know, those, are, beware, those are the best. Let's just do it, man. You know, those are the best. <laughs> let's uh, let's get into it then. Fire away it. here. Yep. So, just a level set before we get into this, because there's there's a lot of talk these days about using different types of coaches or psychologists, or, you know, I've heard the term mental skills coach, sports psychologist. How do you define the work that you do? Well, I, I kind of characterize it as there's like three types of advisors. I'm sure you can subset that, but you have your coach who's an expert in one particular area. You look at a football team, you've got an office, a coordinator used to be called a coach. You've got a quarterback coach. You've got a coach for all these specialties, but they don't really know everything that's happening on the team that needs to be considered for the team to come together as a whole and perform at their best over time and avoid unnecessary risk or a failure to play at their best. I would say also there's the mentor that has a little bit more bandwidth that can hold your hand down the path to the promised land in a particular area. We may have a health mentor. We may have a life mentor. We may have a business mentor but they kind of similarly share the same problem as the coach where they don't see every slice of the pie. Therefore, whatever they're recommending can work for that slice or that half of the pie. But what about the rest of the pie? Because nothing really happens in isolation. Any decision 
that's made any action taken always has an impact on the whole. And because of my experience and because of my age and because of my formal training, I can see anybody, any team, any organization from a 360 degree view, all things considered, because I'm pretty proficient in most everything that gives me the ability to meet whoever it is one-to-one, wherever they are. And then we can craft the path forward, all things considered, so that every choice made will enhance the total, which is the best and only way to get to the biggest, fastest, better that I know of. You said that you look at the whole, right? The 360-degree view of somebody. What, what are the components of that whole that you're looking at when you start working with a new client? Well, to me, the first place to always start is clarity. And we have to have clarity on several things here. Number one, we need to have clarity on where you really are in process without any illusion or misassumption. Because if we're not correct about where you are, taken as a totality of you, both personally and professionally, then we're guessing to some extent about the starting point. Like if you have a GPS and you inaccurately program in the starting point, then you're going to be off trajectory as soon as you start because it's not the line that it needs to be to get you to where you want to go most efficiently. So I certainly go through a vetting process to make sure that we're really clear on all the factors that need to be looked at personally and professionally to be able to determine with precise accuracy exactly where you are, both personally and professionally, and what the impact of that is on your trajectory between where you are and where you want to go. And we understand where the destination really is. And is that really where you want it to be? Or are we just guessing at it? And uh, in order to program your uh, personal GPS accurately, we need to know both of those. So I always do a very extensive assessment of the individual to make sure that we're explicitly clear on those two points. And from those two points, then we can craft what the trajectory and what the path is from where they are to where they want to go. It always starts with clarity, most important thing ever. And I have a process for dissecting and teasing that out. So I want to get into clarity because I do have another question on that, but I'm going to put a pin in that one for now. Sure. I guess as you, so then as you're doing this work, as you're going forward, again, back to you talking about having this 360 degree view of somebody in my mind, that goes to nutrition, diet, mental performance, skill development, that kind of thing. Like what, what are the different components that you're looking at to get somebody from their starting point today to whatever that end goal is? Well, I kind of break it up into two parts. The champion's golden rule is you do the homework and the test is easy. And so on on the preparation side of things, I always look at, well, uh, what are your goals? And the question is, there's all sorts of types of goals, but I'm going to make sure that they're the right goals because if they're not the right goals, then you may not want to pursue them because you may be disappointed in what happens once you get there. So we need to make sure you have the right goals first and foremost, because that gives you explicit focus, which I call goal focus, the ability to focus on the actions to get from where you are to where you want to go. It also allows us to be able to see the peripheral field of gaze there, and we can see blind sides starting to form, and we can also see opportunities that show up that actually can take us to a bigger goal that we never previously considered. The next thing that I think is imperative is to understand the motivations, the why and behind what we're doing in our choices, because when we do a thorough vetting of that, then it gives us another level of drive. And if we can't push when we need to push, then the possibility of creating a life of excellence becomes very remote indeed. 
I think another side to this is that we have to be very clear on what the impact of your goals will be when manifest, how they influence you, your legacy, the world around you, and, and others. That's critical because when we're very clear on that, then it gives us a different perspective on our purpose. That is really our commitment to begin to pursue and achieve a goal. You know, mindset is also part of the preparation. There's all sorts of ways of looking at mindset. We can think of mind over matter. We can think of positive thinking. We can look at affirmations. But when I talk about mindset, I'm talking about a frank capacity to be able to engage the stuff of life as it surfaces moment by moment. Do we really have the capacity to do that in respect to the ambitions that we have? You can't like think your way to a place that you can't get to that's just merely a thought. You know, is there the capacity to do it has to go right when it counts? That to me is what mentality is. And when we have that mindset, this is where we have courage, which is the ability to do what has to go right despite our human impulses. And I see all the time where at a critical point in a journey towards an aspiration where you get to that make it or break it point, people almost universally screw it up. And so much so that I actually wrote a paper called How Not to Blow It Just Before You Win that people can get by going to www.drjeffspencer.com. You can actually get that white paper. And then the last thing that I always look at is the idea of resources. Do you really have the resources of what it's going to take to get you from where you are to where you want to go? Do you have the time? Do you have the energy? Do you have the materials and supplies? Do you have the skills and knowledge? And do you have the right team? And so when we look at those five things and we can check them off as being thoroughly vetted for their requirement, then we can safely trust the fact that we're ready to then begin moving forward. And once we move into the performance side of it, I think it's really important that we have knowledge of what the different steps and phases that we will be going through from goal inception to goal completion, because there's lots of things that we can anticipate that we will be experiencing as a human that humans also misinterpret and talk themselves out of proceeding forward. Because sometimes it's supposed to get hard. doesn't mean that you didn't do something right or you chose it on the other side. It just means that it's part of the aspiration. You may be euphoric about something that you accomplished too soon that you think is a free pass to get what you want. Well, it may be just something that temporarily says that you got a good start, but maybe the toughest stuff is ahead. So we really need to be able to interpret our experience moving forward. And I'm examining my potential clients for their ability to adjust and embrace those things that have to go right. Because if they don't have that, it's unlikely that they can get it if they don't have the raw substrate to embrace it. And if that's the case, then I'm probably not the right person for them. There was, uh, there was a lot in there. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that a few times to unpack everything that just you channel just said. It. Yeah, channel. no, that was wonderful. <laughs> So let's go back then to the clarity piece, right? Like let's let's sure. start again at the beginning there. Cause on your website it says, you know, chances are 99% of you are assessing your current situation incorrectly. What are we all screwing up when it comes to clarity? Well, you know, clarity is uh interesting because clarity is neither practicality where we're talking ourselves into less than without further investigation, which I see a lot of people do. And it's also not... Wait, uh, just to, to, let me just reiterate what you said, just because I think I understand. So you said we're, we're talking ourselves into less than, meaning we're just 
we're just arbitrarily setting a low bar for ourselves yes. without realizing that we have much more potential. Well, I think people realize that they have more potential because one characteristic of, of humans in general is that we all have a low-grade level of continuous anxiety. You know, And a lot of anxiety is if people are generally honest, that they'll tell you that I know that I'm capable of much more. I just can't manifest it. I'm willing to do the work. I'm intimidated. I'm not trying because I don't exactly know what to do, but I, I'm willing to do it. So I have found that. And there's another part of this that I think is relevant is that it's been my observation that we as humans have more confidence in our ability to fail than we do in our ability to win. And so what's the evidence of that? Like in a football game, if you're leading by 25 points with you know, five minutes to go, then the offensive team that's leading by three touchdowns goes into a prevent defense. So they're trying to prevent things from happening rather than playing offense. The other team marches down the field and they stuff the ball in the end zone two or three more times because the person's changed the game. They're, they're afraid of losing. Have you ever noticed how even if you're winning towards the end of the game, you start to get really nervous about losing? Yeah. That's because we, we just really believe we're going to lose. I mean, that's a, an unconscious side of our human nature that's survival-based that we all have that we can't shut off that's there to help us in times of imminent danger. But it's not a prescription if we're going to live a life of prosperity and uh, greatness and excellence. Can't get there uh, through that method. Can't do it. So what is the way to overcome that voice then? If it's there in everybody and it's not something that we can totally turn off, what is the approach to starting to build through that? That's actually the champion's mind. And we have a human nature that catastrophizes everything that's a fear-based survival instinct that we didn't ask for that's hardwired into our body. Have you ever said anything that you thought was going to be really awesome? And when you said it, you realized it was the worst thing you could have ever said? Only well, once or twice. It's a survival instinct that's faster than we can think. Or let's say you slip on some ice and your hand knows where to put it to break the fall, but that was faster than you can think, but yet it was purposeful. Well, something was listening. It may not have been your conscious brain, but yet your body was listening to this. And so it does know how to survive in critical situations because that's the body's hardwired primal first objective is preservation. But you cannot create excellence if all you're doing is reacting to everything in a survival way. You can't get there from that. So we need to recognize first and foremost that we didn't ask for that part of our hardwired biology that we can't, we can't shut off. But what we can recognize is that we do have a conscious mind and that conscious mind can look at what history tells us about situations and we can apply what history tells us has to go right to convert that situation to inch us towards a personal achievement that is representative of what our true potential really is. So we have to be mindful that there are two parts of this game that are always there. And one last thing sure. is that if you identify with the person always ills, ill times their decisions as you, then there's very little hope that you're going to be able to get to where you want to go. Because if you want to know the truth, in my opinion, the real imposter syndrome is us believing that part of us that makes these impulsive decisions that never deliver on their promise, if we believe that that's us, that's the imposter that we should never align with. Our higher sense of awareness of self as capable of more 
that if the right things are done, that history tells us and we have evidence of it, now becomes how we make our choices, which can be completely opposite of what our human nature, our natural instinct impulses might be that don't serve us well, then we can get to much higher ground and we can manifest the life of our full potential. That's interesting. I do believe that the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves make all the difference. But it can be very hard to change the story that we tell ourselves, right? If if we have a few failures and we start to tell ourselves that story that we're the person who screws it up at the deadline, how do how do you get out of that? Where where's the starting point to rewriting the story that you tell yourself about yourself? Well, first to realize that all of our impulsive reactions that we have that are hardwired into us. There's always a story that's attached to that. They come together, the impulse and the story, because the impulse is a reaction to the story as we're perceiving it. But it's faster than we can think it, maybe consciously acknowledge it. And so if we understand our pattern and where we tend to most likely in the presence of a set of circumstances will react in a disfavorable way. And we can jot those down, which most of us can. All you need to do is jot down five of them, three three to five, or maybe one. And if you deal with that first, and it's the highest one in the priority list, that one thing can start to change your life. And you realize, oh, I see how this works. So I have an impulse to say this. So how about me not saying this? And how about me saying this or doing that? Which history has proven that if I do this, it'll take me to where I want to go but yet I have the impulse to do this that hasn't worked every time I've tried it. Maybe I'm not going to try it for the 10th or 15th time. Let me do what works. It feels unnaturally to do this. Of course it does, because we're not talking about you being natural. We're talking about you being supernatural by superseding your natural tendencies to continue to play a small game. So we have to substitute it with something. And every time we substitute it with something and we realize, wow, you know what? I actually did make some progress on that. Then we start to gain confidence in the fact that we can actually break this biologic chain that we didn't ask for. So there's a lot of self-reflection in what you're talking about. First of all, there's a lot of preparation up front to just let's figure out where we're going. Let's let's figure out our goals. Let's figure out if we have all the resources, the right team, everything that you talked about. Now we're doing an assessment of our behaviors in the performance moments and what we need. I imagine, am am I too far off thinking that there's a lot of writing that goes on in the work that you do, that like people actually have to journal this stuff down and and really record stuff? Well, one of the things that I do with my clients is that I want to make sure that they consciously are doing what has to go right to have awareness of what the process is. And I found that the brain and the mind are not reliable. If you think that you can fit it all and remember everything in your brain and retrieve it accurately. That's not what history tells us to be true. I think that, for example, I have a client right now, uh, actually several of them that are wanting to know what's next. You know, it's a great question to ask. And so part of me helping them determine their next would be, for example, if they have something that they're considering as a next, well, I'll have them go through what I call my right goal criteria. And these are the criteria. We have five criteria. And these are questions that you need to answer about the goal that you're considering to pursue. And I want you to do this just so you can really think about 
what it is that the goal promises and is it what you really want and are you really ready to pursue this goal because if we leave it just to our impressions and our impulses to choose a goal then it's kind of like the serial person that always chooses the wrong person in the relationship why do i always choose this type of person when i swore to myself i wouldn't do it again and here i am doing it again for the fifth time it's exactly the same scenario yeah because really you just have some vague idea of what it is that you're really looking for yeah and we think that if we're going to know what to do when we get there when the emotions take over then we don't remember it at all so yeah. unless there's an acknowledgement that then you can kind of rehearse yourself against so that when you have a probability of encountering the trigger you're going to be prepared to say which i say to my clients a lot i say look you have a chance right now to make a decision is that something's going to happen here where you're going to now be faced with a trigger that you know does not uh, put you in the highest favorability for accomplishing this you know that so let's right now let's decide what you're going to do and how you're going to handle this so when this shows up this is the way that you need to encounter this to have a victory over this at this moment in time and if you have one victory over it one time it means you can have a victory over it all time and given enough time then you will have developed the capacity in your fabric to now respond to it in a, in a different way so i think this goes back to one of the things you said before about having the right goals correct so how do you know if you have the right goal it's a great question. So I have a right goal criteria. So let's say that you come to me and your goal is uh, I want to have the first organic garden on Mars. Okay, great. So let's go through the right goal criteria. So the R in right stands for relevance. So O'Brien, I'd like you to write down for me why this is relevant for you to have the first organic or, uh, garden on Mars. And take your time on this, find some protected space. Don't write this to try to please me because this is really about you taking the time to vet what you're going to say against what your soul and your mind say about this. And I want you to write down what it really is for you, not try to make up a story for yourself or to yourself or to me. Write down what is being revealed to you about what your real uh, relationship is to the goal. Why is this relevant to you? Like when we adopted our 10-year-old daughter, why was this relevant? Well, because number one, we were saving the life of a person that would have no life if we didn't. We were answering a calling to us to step into adoption. We would have uh, you know, showcased to others an option that would be possible. So all of those things were relevant to us, and that's why we did it. And so if it's relevant to us and we see it, we see the value and benefit of it, then all of a sudden we have a different relationship with the goal. And then the I and right stands for indicators. So what are the indicators to your mind, body, and soul that this is the right goal. Does this intellectually excite you? Is this too much for your body, too little for your body? Is there enough humanity in this for you? Is the exchange of value enough for you? Like you're getting this in exchange for what you're giving? So you go through a list of these indicators that you're selecting. I'm not telling you what those are. This is between you and the goal. Can it deliver that? Hmm. And is it enough for you? Yes or no? And then the G in right is gravity. Explain to me the emotional attachment between you and this goal. Is there enough emotional attachment between you and it to pursue it? Yes or no? Doesn't need to be perfect. But we do need to ask that question because if there's not enough emotional attachment, soul attachment to this, 
all goals have moments of difficulty, then you may not have what it takes to pursue this to completion. And then the H in right stands for height. Does this have the right elevation for you? Is this the right reach? Is this challenging enough for you as a human being? Or are you intimidated by this or are you underwhelmed by it? Does this have enough height for you and does it carry enough value to you to actually do this to make your mind, body, and soul sing? Yes or no? And then finally, the T is time. Do you actually have the time to do this? Yes or no? Is this the right time to do this? Yes or no? Is the time from now to completion acceptable to you? Yes or no? And when you go through that, you really take the time to look at it. You have a different relationship with the role, with the goal. Mm-hmm. It's not just what am I going to get for the goal? That's what most people think about with the goal. They don't care about the goal. They think about what they're going to get from it. But if we have a relationship with it, then we start to protect it. We start to become very protective of it. We start to have a relationship that we want to stand behind. We want to make sure that it actually happens because we understand it. We understand the impact of it. We understand why we're doing it. We're having a deeper sense of value and how this can reverberate throughout humanity. And this is where it all starts because if we're not clear on that, then we don't have what I call gokus or goal focus. And unless you have goal focus, you cannot hyper-focus on the stuff that needs to get done if you're uncertain or ambivalent about the goal. You can't play it half and half can't do it. You got to be all in for the right reasons or enough in, let me put it that way, to be able to pursue it because you uh, accurately chose it. There's smart goals, there's big, hard, audacious goals, there's moonshots, there's all sorts of stuff. But I I think having a right goal where you have a relationship where you're going to fight for something of value because you've determined that changes the context of what's possible. Yeah. I mean, you made the comment at the beginning of this that you have to you have to do the preparation now and that makes the performance easier. Absolutely right. And it's like, it's interesting listening to you explain this stuff because I think most people would think, I would think, that that's focusing on showing up and doing the practice for whatever the game scenario is going to be. But like you've taken us even a step before that and it's like, let's over-prepare for why you even want to practice in the first place. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like if you can, and it, it, I mean, it makes sense as you're saying it, cause let's get all the, all the drivers really fleshed out. Let's understand what's behind this. Let's understand what's going to get in our way. Let's think through this scenario just as deeply and purposefully as we can. Then we step onto the practice field and therefore we don't need to worry about any of the motivation stuff. We don't need to worry about stuff catching us off guard. We just need to now dive headfirst into the game preparation. And then therefore we then get to the game preparation and all we have to worry about is the game. Yes. And, and just to add to that, and that, that was really eloquently said that each of these areas that I mentioned, like goal clarity, looking at our motives, understanding the impact having the mindset and having the resources, all of those convey a certain capacity to us and our ability to perform. When we're clear on our goal, we have goal focus and we have peripheral vision. That's essential because we're going to be able to execute things to move things along towards goal completion and get out of harm's way when there's a blind side forming in the periphery. It will allow us to see better goal options to create a better goal than we originally conceived of. When we're clear on our motives, it gives us drive. And if you don't have drive, then you can't get to the finish line. If you don't get to the finish line, you don't win. 
And when we talk about impact, when we understand the impact of our goal because we vetted it, then it gives us purpose. You know, purpose is the biggest driver of all. We have a reason to get up. We have a reason to show up, something to fight for. And with the mindset piece, if we have the champion's mind, not just our survival impulses that we think that is us, then we have courage, the rarest of all human attributes, the ability to do the contrarian thing to what our natural instincts are. They can't take us to where we want to go. They never have and they never will. And then when we have the resources that we can look at that are vetted on a list and say, yeah, this is what I need, then we have trust and process. So when you step onto the field, you're trusting your preparation and your state of readiness, which makes then the journey much more possible because there's no ambivalence to it. You're clear, you got the plan, you got the team, you got all the resources that you need. Hmm. So I'm going to try to articulate this question. We'll see how it comes out. Your example, you said, okay, I want to have the first organic garden on Mars. Sure. You know, you've worked with professional athletes, Olympians, CEOs. These are people who have very clear dreams, like from the outside, very clear dreams. And they're big aspirations. Should everybody have an aspiration like that? Or is this only for people who have those types of aspirations? I'm just curious on your thoughts of that, because I could see somebody listening to this and going like, yeah, I mean, that's great. But like, I just want to like make my sales number and be a great father or mother and like live a happy, meaningful life. That's a great question. So when we adopted our 10-year-old daughter, when she was 11, she wanted to learn how to bake a cake. And I said, sure, I'm going to show you how to bake a cake. She didn't speak English and I didn't speak Spanish. So it was a little bit of a you know, sign language deal. But it's like, you know, the first thing is we need to make sure that this is the right goal. Why do you actually want to do this birthday cake? Well, because I want to honor one of the new friends that I've just met. And I want her to feel acknowledged you know, by me. That's really important to me, daddy. I said, well, you know what? Sounds like you got the right goal to me. Yeah. Now let's take a look at step number two is motive. Like, why are you doing this? She said, well, I love to cook because in rural Columbia, when I was there and we had our hole in the dirt where we used to cook our meals, that was fun to me. And I want to do that again. I want to learn another way of doing it. You have what's called an oven here that I've never seen before. I'd like to learn to like use this and see how this really works. And then I, I'd like to give something that I, I really made to this person rather than to buy him something. I'd like to give him something that I really made because I want them to feel really good about who they are and to recognize that they have friends, dad. That's why I want to do it. So man, it sounds like you got the right motives to me, kid. Let's look at another thing here before you even get started. I want to make sure what do you think is going to happen with this cake when you give it to her? Oh, dad, man, she's just going to be over the moon with this. It's just going to be unbelievable how happy she's going to be because I know that she's not expecting this. It's going to make me feel good because I followed through on something that I wanted to do to change a person's quality of life. Yeah, that's in for sure. All the other people are going to be happy as well. And plus, it's non-toxic and it's got a low-carbon footprint. So then I said, okay, great. So what sort of a mindset do we need to have for this? said, dad, you know, I've never done this before. I have to have the courage to believe that I can do it. And I've got a set of instructions here and I just need to follow the instructions. I really want to try this, dad. Can I really, can I try this? I said, sure, let's do it. I said, there's one more step here. Is that 
we got to make sure we got all the resources. We got to have all the stuff. Well, what do I need, Dad? I said, well, get the eggs out. You know, we've got to get the cake pan and then make sure you got the knives and all the other kind of accessories that we need to do this. And once you've got that assembled, let me know. Dad, I got all this stuff done. And so that was my 11-year-old daughter that barely spoke English. And we used the model and she successfully executed the cake and she delivered on the promise to herself and to the girl. So the goals that we decide are personal goals for us that aren't in competition with everybody else. As a matter of fact, I went to a conference and the uh, the two-day event uh, was titled Moonshot. And so uh, most of the people there came to me and said, hey, Jeff, I know it's supposed to be a moonshot, but I can't think of a moonshot for me right now. It's too big. You know, I need something that's within my scope that has value and meaning to me, maybe the moonshot later. I said, well, that's fantastic. So you make whatever's relevant to you and the goal technology and the process of preparing first to then begin the journey to execution and completion, then that takes place. It's completely scalable. You choose the goal that's right for you at this time. If it's not big, none of us are, are all meant to do something of significance in terms of how other people would view it. You know, but what I can tell you, what I do know, Brian, is that the smallest thing that we do that's done at the right time that we're called to do, the ripple effect of that for all of eternity can never be underestimated because you never know who's watching. And I think our job is to show up and execute and get it done faithfully and that whatever the ripple effect is, and, and we get our reward for showing up and being faithful to the process as it was revealed to us. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe that living a meaning air quote meaningful life yeah is, is only defined by us for sure you know 100 and i think that we get screwed up trying to create something for ourselves that is not really in line with what we want but what we think will leave some lasting legacy or something you know it's like just yes. the ego getting in the way yes the other thing uh, i mean first of all just walking through that as a way to tell, to take any story and turn it into a tearjerker. That was, Oh God, talk about that was a great story. I, I, I Kleenex out, man. It's just, Oh my God. Yeah. But, um, it, I mean, it makes me think too, like, you know, if so many people are looking for meaning in their lives and that's something that we hear about all the time that, that we're just going through the motions and, you know, we've lost meaning, we've lost connection. It seems like no matter what you're doing, if you walk through those pieces at the beginning of it, it creates meaningful experience, right? It's yeah, not just, not. yeah, I, yeah, I baked it. My dad helped me bake a cake for my friend and like it was fun and we had a nice party. I mean, that's like a meaningful thing. And you're, like, it's an emotional thing now that yeah. she can carry on that like becomes a foundational element for her. It's like, yeah, yeah I'm the type, it's back to your, your comment about telling a story. Like I'm the type of person that does this. These are the things I value. And, and so I'm the type of person that does that. And it just reinforces that she's going to do it again, you know, that she wants to give something like that again. She wants to share that feeling. She wants to do something meaningful, learn a new skill, whatever that is. And I, th- I think that shouldn't be undervalued either. No. And the, the other thing I'll add to that, your points are so well taken, is that now she has a model to follow, to replicate in a repeatable, consistent, and predictable way where it wasn't a one-off fluke, it just happened to happen, you know, but this was a purposeful event that gives her an empowerment to then begin to choose as she matures and her vision starts to change loftier goals uh, that are appropriate for the time and context. Because if we don't 
have a method, then we may stumble into something of significance, but then we'll be known as a one-act wonder. We won't be known as a repeated successor. We won't have the confidence, maybe is a better way of putting it, in our ability to manifest things over the long term, which will create our legacy, which will then be kind of our archived document of what we did with our time and our talents that's going to be in the human domain indefinitely for all of time for people to look at, you know, what we did with our time and our talents. So again, well stated and, and so well said. And I just feel like if there's part of the mythology of goal achievement is that people confuse goal achievement with goal setting. You know, we think that if we choose a goal, then somehow everything backfills and it automatically manifests itself because we chose it, you know, and the universe will align. Is that like the secret? Yeah, well, sort of, <laughs> you know, and I know the publisher of the secret, so it's delicate, you know, oh, but sorry. Yeah, well, that's okay. Well, we've had this conversation. So, I mean, the, really the secret is that there is a model that can be followed out there that allows us to harness goal achievement. So it becomes predictable and consistent rather than just an occasional guess you know, having the anxiety of pursuing a goal when we don't have a methodology can be intimidating in and of itself because that's where a lot of uncertainty comes into it. But if we have a vessel to hold the process that history is revealed, then it gives us a different level of relationship and belief in our ability to execute it. You know, one thought that just popped into my head as you were saying that is that I can imagine that people have some goals and that this sounds really good, but that there are some real traumas or life experiences that have put them in a place where when they begin, you know, maybe they self-sabotage from the beginning or they struggle with anxiety and it shuts them down. Is there a point where you recommend people work with a therapist to get through some of that stuff? Or like... How do you think about that side of it? Or, or do you see most of your clients being able to work through those types of things just by doing some of these exercises? A, a couple of things there is that you know, most of the clients that I, I work with have uh, you know, firmly established businesses, et cetera. You know, there's a kind of a vetting process where my mm -hmm. sweet spot intersects you know, with their needs. So you know, just to say that first and foremost, but I think most importantly, if we look at life's primal skill, life's primal skill is goal achievement. And most people have not learned a methodology for that. It's just, if you feel it, do it, make it up as you go, because that's the way it should be done. Everything will be revealed to you in process. Yeah, it may be revealed over 10 or 20 years, where it may take you two if you have a structure. So I just feel like if we learn the skill of goal achievement, because it is a skill, if we, if we know the methodology, and we apply the methodology to simple goals to learn the methodology, then it could be applied to more vigorous goals later as we develop a different level of core competencies. But I feel like, again, I don't know that there are goal setting courses out there for sure, but goal setting is not goal achievement, two yeah. different things. Okay. So I feel like that would be a, a way to approach that. Okay. want to flip this a little bit and you know, the, the name of the show is people business. And so one Love part that. of this is how do people get better themselves? And then the other part is how do they get the most from the people around them? 
And so for somebody who's in a leadership position, who has a team of people that they're trying to rally toward a common cause, right? The next sale, business growth, new launch, whatever. How do they start to inspire others to do some of this work? Or how do they help them build some passion and, and connection like we're talking about? Well, I think first and foremost, they need to be a representative of what it is that they may be asking of others. First and foremost, if you're not naturally inclined to be enthusiastic about what you're doing and passionate about it and have enough belief in it to be able to share it with others, to give them an opportunity to experience what you're experiencing, then it may not be a perfect fit for you. That's that you can't lead somebody else farther than you've led yourself. I, I think that that's true because you know, you're, the scent that you have on you, that people sense about you, they uh, will feel that faster than any words would convey. And we're giving clues that are invisible to people all the time by our sheer presence about our believability in their sensing without a word being spoken, whether or not what we're saying is us and can we deliver on that, there always is the silent exchange that's happening. That being said, and let's factor that out, saying that everything's all squared up and it, it really is the leader or enough of the leader. It doesn't need to be perfect. I think that's another side to this is that people think it's an all or none thing. It's not. It has to be enough there to stay in the game to do it because being there is appropriate and that will take you to next eventually. And there are no perfect scenarios at any time. So let's not chase the per perfect alignment as a criteria for engaging things. The way to do it is to engage it, then the experience will inform us about the value that we're deriving from it or potentially give us another opportunity that we wouldn't have had had we not engaged that will show us a path to whatever the next installment is in our pathway towards our, our bigger future and our legacy. If there's not a natural resonance between what anything offers and the person to begin with, then no amount of talking is going to bridge that gap. And so it's better to discontinue sooner than later rather than prolong uh, the agony for both sides of the aisle there. Yeah, help them identify that and move on to the better thing. Yeah, exactly right. Without, without any judgment. Yeah. You know, we do our best estimate, but if we see it's not working, let's have a conversation about it. You know, first you do a check-in. Hey, you know, I've kind of noticed that you're off your game a little bit here. Just want to make sure, can I support you in any way? And then, no, I'm good. And then you realize that they're still not uh, performing it where they should be. Then that tells you that there's another conversation that needs to be had. And eventually you'll find that what you maybe suspect it was originally is what it is. And at that point, then you can discuss how to kind of honorably uh, disconnect and, and proceed ahead. Yeah. Makes me think of two, um, I don't, I don't know if I've said it on here before, but uh, I heard the former chief people officer from Lululemon speak a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if they still do. I think they do a, a goal setting exercise every year for every employee that they have. And they're encouraged to be honest about what those goals are. And she had a goal that she wanted to get her MBA abroad. And they said, okay, well, let's figure out how we do that. And so they helped her. I think she wound up going to Scotland to get her MBA and they, because they helped her, she kept in touch with them. And then she came back with all, with this great set of skills and they wound up hiring her back into a more senior position. Right. And she, she grew up in there and it was just a great example of like, you never know what's going to happen, but 
you should always default towards helping people get wherever they want to go. A hundred percent. And to your point there, I think a couple of things that businesses kind of don't do. I think it's really healthy. When's the last time that somebody in a maybe executive position took the time to have a person, you know, vet their motives? Like, why are you here? You know, what are you looking for? What can I do to make this a better experience? Or to look at the impact question, like we talked about in the uh, preparation phase of goal achievement. Like, so how do you think this is going to impact somebody? You know, what's this going to do for you? And generally when people are heard, without having to hold to a standard that they believe is necessary to maintain a good relationship, which they are likely to shy away from, just that level of trust that's uh, exchanged in the opportunity to share that so that everybody does kind of say on, stay on, the, on the, the same trajectory can absolutely work miracles. You know, people want to be understood. They want to be yeah. heard. Yeah. So this is a question... We talked a little bit about it in our prep, but I wanted to ask it on here too. It's easy to look at like a Michael Jordan. You know, the uh, the Last Dance came out last year, and everybody it seemed watched that. And I heard so many people comment about how singularly focused he was. Similar with like a, a Kobe Bryant or a Tom Brady or these you know these sports icons that are out there that just seem to be obsessed with the thing. And you, you read it with authors or business people too. Does an individual have to be obsessed like that and singularly focused to be elite? Or is there an avenue for the polymath? Well, I, I think, again, if we define polymath as someone doing a variety of things concurrently that are in the scope of their competency... I think we all have our own path forward. Uh, you can have a compulsive polymath as well as a singular directed individual that could be equally compulsive and put themselves into relationship difficulty uh, because of the obsession. I, I think that if we look at the idea, what are we solving for here? Are we yeah, solving yeah. for money? Are we solving for tranquility of being? There's all sorts of ways of kind of slicing the pie here do I want to be my best? What does best mean? Um, I think all those deserve a level of personal conversation so that the implication of what it is that we're presuming to want, again, becomes fully vetted by looking at the five areas of preparation. Yeah. So we're not just singularly looking at the rewards that we believe will be coming. Well, there may be some downside to what it is that we're considering here. We should be mindful of that as well. I just think, again, if you look at uh, the conversations that happens before pursuit of something with a precocious individual, generally the person finds himself in difficulty at some point because the conversation about the risks of being precocious and and talented in having a unique path to something of uh, high uniqueness offers, there's always challenges that are associated with that that i think have to be part of the early conversation so that we're clear about the implications of the possibility of you know like downside risk so that we can make an informed choice early or we can at least be mindful when that possibility is starting to arise and because the conversations happen then you can intervene and pick up the conversation to look at evasive actions to take to not 
suffer the downside consequences of that. Okay. No surprise. It goes back to setting the goal that's right for you, right? At the time. And you can always modify that in process as well. Yeah. That's a good point too. You, you know, in, in which we should expect that because, you know, as I said earlier, there's so much mythology about goal achievement. Like once I set my mind to it, I'm not deviating. Well, I don't know anybody that would ever say that, that is a prolific achiever. They would always say, well, look, we're prepared enough to get started. Well, how do you know that? Well, we've gone through the five steps and we've edited it. So the only thing we could do now is to get started. But then the kind of sidebar to that is, is that we talk, when you have goal focus, you can get stuff done with hyper-focus, but then you have this peripheral vision and you may see things occur to you that will adjust the trajectory towards different. And that doesn't mean that you can't keep your word. It just means that you've now adopted a better option that you didn't conceive of. And that's part of what every prolific achiever does. They either start too early or too late. They make sure that they're prepared because they've gone through the vetting of that. They start, but they keep an antenna up to look for better options that may take them to a better, faster, easier. And if that's the case, then they always sort of adjust and, and follow the path of where the new direction could take them. Yeah. It's like, you know, with a startup that you hear about iteration, you know, iterating. Yeah, like, no, I don't know, almost every startup I've ever read about lands on their big success that, you know, in a different way than what the initial concept was. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. That's how it always works. And I think we need to just always hold out that is is a given, you know, so we don't make judgments too quick about what it is, or we talk ourselves out of things because it's not going the way we want. Sometimes it's, we're one step away from next. We just don't see it yet. Yeah, yeah. You know, and another thought I had too, you, you talked before about uh, courage. Yeah. And I think it can take real courage to understand and, and act on your individual goals. I think it's really easy to fall into the slipstream of other people's goals. And it it does take some courage to stand up and say, you know what, this my goals don't necessarily align with this or in the way that you want me to do it. And I'm going to go, you know, pursue it my way for my reasons. And if that works out here, great. And if not, I'll go do it somewhere else. Yeah. Anybody that doesn't support that when you've said that is not your friend, yeah. you know, and it may actually even be a family member. You know, there's no shortage of detractors out there that uh, have no purpose in life other than to criticize <laughs> and make people doubt their own sensibilities. So I think we need to sort of build that into, we should be expecting this. And when it shows up, we should have a contingency for how to deal with it. But, you know, it's our life to explore. There's only one of us in all the creation. There's nobody like you. There never will be. And uh, we're here on this planet to showcase our talents, I believe. And I think we have, uh, we are honor bound to do that. And the best thing that we could do is to encourage each other to pursue things in a way, of course, if it's safe and it's uh, legal and moral, then, you know, we can support that. I think that's the best thing. And, and we learn by doing and it doesn't always turn out well. Well, that's okay too. You know, we got to learn to pick ourselves up, move forward. I know we're getting out of time here. Um, I got two more questions left for you. The first one is of everything we've talked about, wh what about your approach is most controversial? Like, where do you get the most pushback? I think it's belief that I say that restraint is the most important word in the prolific achievers' vocabulary. Most people, want to go faster i say no yeah, too fast increases risk i say restraint is the fastest way to the winner's circle you kind of got to know what to do and what to say no to mm -hmm. you can't go after everything and the other thing i'll say here is to pace yourself 
learn how to create uh, small goals with the myth- methodology first. And once you've got the technical side of that down, then you can start thinking about your moonshots. A lot of resistance against that. You're too slow. You're being too practical. You got a model and a method here. Isn't that just a little bit too rigid? It doesn't allow space for spontaneity. I say that's garbage. It doesn't. What it does, it puts guardrails up so that you have a path that history has proven. This just isn't me saying it. I'm just sharing what history reveals that we can use as assets for us to learn the process to live a life of value and contribution because it's out there, but it's counterintuitive. You know, counterintuitive means it's not natural, you know, but being a prolific achiever is not about being natural. Natural is to be grumpy, to complain, to want it your way all the time, and to blame everybody else for your misfortune. That's natural. I don't want to be natural. I want to be supernatural. I want to create a life based upon my efforts and what I see. If it doesn't work out, then I'll accept the responsibility for it. I love that. Thank you. And my last question is one that I ask all the guests. You work with a lot of business leaders. I'm curious, what in your mind is the purpose of business? Well, the purpose of business, there's a lot of ways to answer that. But I think that really the purpose of a business is to provide value to others and to give them things that may be value that actually make their life easier, that will allow them to become the best at what they're best at. And if we had a world that were dedicated to becoming the best at what we're best at, and we kind of stayed in that lane. I think we would have uh, an abundance of enthusiasm and spirited uh, people that could accomplish some just unfathomable things of significance from the smallest nano to the largest, largest, without placing a judgment on what it is, but its contribution to the whole where everything is equally significant would, would be the thing that I would say. I love that. Thank you. And so I said that was the last question. I lied. (laughs) <laughs> where can people learn more about you and your work and what you do? Um, wh- where would you send people? Yeah, it's two things if I could. Um, we talked a lot about this idea of the goal achievement roadmap, which was kind of the, like the model that I've created. If people would like to go watch a video about it, they can. And uh, if you'd like to do that, you can go to www.beforeyouwin.com, B-E-F-O-R-E-Y-O-U-W-I-N, beforeyouwin.com. And when you go there, you'll uh, get that white paper that I wrote, How Not to Blow It Just Before You Win. And uh, while you're waiting for that to come into your inbox and you can watch the video that will give you an insight into the goal achievement roadmap model that that we've been discussing here. If you would like to uh, have a conversation about your personal needs and how I might be able to support you in that, you can go to www.drjeffspencer.com, D-R-J-E-F-F-S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com. And when you land on the home page there in the upper right-hand corner, there will be a tab that says application, and you can fill that out. There's no obligation for anything, but what that application will do, that will come to me. I will look at it. I will respond back. And uh, if it feels like it's a good fit, then we'll create a time for us to get together and discuss what your needs are and what you're thinking about. We'll go from there. I'll link all of that in the show notes for everybody. So make it really easy for people to be able to get there. I love that. And I, I like on your website too, how it talks about why you would or wouldn't 
work with you and the the mindset that you have to have coming into that. I, I think that's so great just to help somebody really clarify whether it makes sense. Thank you. Dr. Spencer, this has been uh, amazing. I've learned a ton. Uh, I'm going to go back and, and take a bunch of notes as I listen to this again. And I've already got a bunch of ways that I can apply a lot of the things that you're talking about. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your time and wisdom with us. Well, just really an honor. And just uh, everybody just remember, there's only one of you in all of creation and there's always room at the top for the best. You know, whatever's important to you, there's always a way to get there to create a life of value and contribution. Thanks again for the marvelous opportunity and the great experience, uh, O'Brien. Thank you. Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.